Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to The Haunted Collection with your host, writer, paranormal investigator, and haunted collector, Kevin Kane, here at your service to provide you with the scariest stories I can think up. (laughs) I love a good scary story. I love a good ghost story. I love folklore, especially southern folklore. I'm from the South, and we've got a lot of great stories down here from the coast of South Carolina all the way to the vast plains of Texas. There are many ghost stories that echo across the fields and the mountains around here. Everything from Bigfoot to ghostly southern bells who are seen drifting through the woods. And of course, there are many Civil War soldier ghost stories. Because the Civil War was very prominent in the South, so hopefully I'll get to share some of those with you in future episodes. Tonight, before we start with our stories, I just wanted to go ahead and let you know of some upcoming events that I'll be participating in. This summer, the weekend of June 23rd through 26th, I will be a guest at the Magic City Con in Birmingham, Alabama. So be sure to pull up the Magic City Con website and check them out for times and locations. I will be there signing and selling my books, and we'll have a couple of haunted dolls on display. So come on by and take a gander and uh, get an autographed book while you're there. This fall... Right near Halloween time, just perfectly. At that time, October 26th, I will be at the beach, Orange Beach, Alabama, at the Crypticon, there at the wharf. So come and check us out there. We'll be there that Saturday. I will be signing and selling books there. I'll be doing a talk about ghosts and paranormal items. And again, I'll have some of my haunted dolls on display for you to come by and take a gander. So if you're near the beach or going to be on the beach the weekend right before Halloween, come on by and check us out. That is brought to you by Abnormal Alabama. I've also been participating in the podcasts for Abnormal Alabama on YouTube. Every Tuesday night, they come to you live with a paranormal panel. We discuss everything from ghosts to Bigfoot to UFOs. And each week, there's a special guest to come on and talk with us. I always like to take a haunted doll with me there and put it up on the table there for display. So tune in on YouTube at the Abnormal Alabama channel every Tuesday night and check that out. Well, tonight I found a couple of great stories for you that I hope you enjoy, so let's go ahead and get down to business. These are some pretty spooky stories that I've heard since I was a child. They've been around a lot longer than I have. The first story is called The Ten Claws. 
Long ago, a small village was plagued by a monster. The monster had never been seen nor heard. It never left tracks or evidence. The only proof of its existence was its victims. The victims were always killed in the same way. Ten jagged holes could be found in their necks. At first, the monster attacked only small animals. A farmer woke up one morning to find that three of his sheep had bled to death. Then, three pet dogs in the village were found dead with the same strange claw marks in their necks. Rumors circulated in the village. Everyone heard about the animals. But no one could give a logical explanation for what had killed them. Next, a young calf was found dead. It had bled to death, too, its jugular vein punctured by the ten mysterious holes. After this, men began to arm themselves. Shotguns were set beside beds at night. Animals were kept locked in the barns. Throughout the village, a rash of hysteria broke loose. People put forth all kinds of wild speculation. Neighbors eyed each other with suspicion. Then it happened. What everyone had really feared. The monster attacked a human. Elmer Riley, the town drunk. Elmer was found dead one morning with ten claw holes in his neck. He had died just like the sheep and the dogs and the calf. He had bled to death. Not many people in the town really cared that Elmer was dead, but it did scare them to know that the monster had an appetite for humans as well. Anyone could be its prey. The men in the village banded together to form a vigilante group. They didn't know what they were fighting, which made things even worse. Robert and John Harmon, two brothers, were appointed head of the vigilante committee. They lived on the outskirts of the village near the forest where people thought the monster probably lived. The two brothers knew now knew how the monster attacked. It had been their calf that was killed, after all. Well, after the first meeting of the vigilante committee, Robert and John Harmon went home to discuss their plans. They sat around the oak table in the kitchen with their father. Their old grandmother sat by the fireplace on a low chair, her black shawl wrapped around her. We must begin the watch tonight, Robert said in a low voice. The other men are afraid to act now, but I think tonight is the time to be on guard. You're right, his brother agreed. That thing, what, whatever it is, strikes every five days. It was five nights ago that Elmer Riley was killed. You boys sound brave, their father interrupted. But remember what you are dealing with. The thing seems to attack without warning. In the killing so far, there were no signs of struggle. 
How will you know what to watch for? The father paused and looked over to his old mother sitting by the fireplace. They should be careful, shouldn't they, Granny? The old woman looked up at her son. She shuddered for a moment and then fell silent again. The three men went back to their conversation. They hadn't really expected to get an answer from her. Her mind had been foggy for years. Robert began to outline his plan to his father. John and I will take our guns to the outskirts of the forest tonight. We'll set ourselves up on the path between the forest and the village. If the monster comes out tonight, it will have to pass by either of us. And what protection will you have? The father asked worriedly. Why each other? Robert answered. We'll stay within shouting distance of each other, and we'll keep our backs to the village so that we face the forest and the monster. Someone has to do it, John said to his father. We don't know who the next victim will be. We can't just sit back and let the monster kill us off one by one. Their father stood up from the table and walked around the room once. Then he shook each of their hands. Come back to me alive, he said, his voice choking. The two sons picked up their rifles from the floor. Robert pulled a long, sharp machete from the wall. As they left the room, both of them walked over by their old grandmother and kissed her goodbye. Outside, the night was nearly pitch black. A thin sliver of a moon hung low in the western sky. They walked east toward the forest. As they drew near to where they had planned to station themselves, John whispered, I wonder what it looks like. I've been thinking, Robert said, that it could be a bird, a giant bird that swoops down on you and digs its claws into your neck. They both looked up into the night sky. Clouds had shrouded the thin moon, and it would be hard to see a dark shadow descending through the sky. I thought it might tunnel under the ground like a huge weasel, John said softly. Then it comes out and attacks you from behind. Both brothers felt the skin crawl on the back of their necks. Slowly they both turned and looked behind them. For several minutes they stood together like that in the dark, paralyzed by their own horrible thoughts. We must take our places, Robert said finally. But remember, stay within shouting distance. The two boys moved off in opposite directions. They had agreed that each would take twenty long paces and then stop. Standing in the dark, Robert carefully cocked his gun. Then he took the machete and stuck it in the soft ground by his feet. There he waited. Forty paces away, John fumbled nervously with his gun. He felt his hands shaking. Could he use the gun if he had to? He wished he could see Robert, but his brother was obscured by the dark shadows of bushes and trees. John turned around to look toward the village. He wished he were safe inside the house. 
Then he heard the crackling of a twig in back of him. He spun around to face the forest. But he saw nothing and heard no more. John relaxed. He set the butt of his gun down in the ground and leaned against it. And after a minute, he started to feel drowsy. Then he felt the ten claws digging into his neck. A terrified scream echoed through the forest to Robert. He grabbed his gun and machete and followed the awful screams to his brother. He drew near but couldn't see anything in that dark night. But then came John's voice, choking and desperate. Quick, swing the machete behind you where you hear my voice. Hurry! Robert threw down his gun and grasped the machete in both hands. He swung it above his head and let it fall. It made a hacking sound before it hit the ground. John had been groaning the whole time, but now he stopped. For an instant, Robert thought he had killed his brother. But then John started to babble incoherently. Robert thought he heard something moving back away from them. It sounded like a giant rat scuttling over the dead leaves. But he could not see it. Robert fell to the ground by his brother's body. Moaning again, John took his brother's hand and put it to his own neck. Robert shrunk back at what he felt. It was a hand, a withered hand with sharp, pointed claws. He had hacked it off the monster with his machete, and it was still stuck in John's neck. Robert jerked the foul claws from his brother's neck. Then he bound the ten bloody holes with his handkerchief. He carried his brother back to the village, leaving the withered hand lying on the forest floor. Their father met them at the door, weeping with fear. He had heard John's terrified screams in the forest. Now he wept with happiness to see that both his sons were alive yet. They laid John out on a couch and washed out the claw marks in his neck. They could see that a few seconds more and the claws would have killed him. As he bandaged his brother's neck, Robert thought about the monster. He hoped it was in the forest now, dying a slow death. All this time, no one had noticed that the old woman was gone from her spot by the fireplace. And no one noticed when she came in through the back door and sat down again. From her low seat, she looked over to Robert and John. No one heard the hiss that came from her wrinkled mouth. And no one saw the bloody stump that she hid under her black shawl. Yes, my friends, sounds like Grandma was the monster all along, some kind of were-creature. Wonder if they ever found out who the monster really was. That was a pretty freaky story. I remember reading that in a comic book when I was a kid, a comic book story version of that. So it's been around quite some time. 
Now on to another story that arrived around in the 1970s or somewhere thereabouts. This one is called The Jigsaw Puzzle. It was on top on the top shelf of an old bookcase covered with dust and barely visible. Lisa decided she had to find out what it was. Of all the things in the old junk shop, it aroused her curiosity most. She had looked through old books, prints, and postcards for hours. Nothing had caught her interest. Now the old box, high and out of reach, intrigued her. She looked around for the old man who ran the store, but he had gone into the back room somewhere. Nearby was a stepladder across the room, and she brought it over to the bookcase. It shook on the uneven floorboards as she climbed to the top step. Lisa patted her hand along the surface of the top shelf, trying to find the box. The dirt was thick and gritty on the board. Then she touched the box. It was about some sort of cardboard material, the cardboard cold and soft from being in the damp room for such a long time. She lifted the box down slowly, trying to steady her balance on the stepladder. As the side of the box reached her eye level, she could read the words, 500 pieces, printed across it. She sat the box down on top of the stepladder and climbed down a few steps. Then she blew away some of the dust that had accumulated on the lid. It billowed up around her with a musty dead odor and a smoke like something out of a freshly opened tomb. But now she can make out a few more words on top of the box. The strangest jigsaw puzzle in the world was emblazoned across the top. There were other words underneath that, but they had been rubbed off the cardboard lid. The big picture on the cover had been curiously damaged. Lisa could make out areas of light and dark. It looked as though the scene might be in a room, but most of the picture had been scratched off the cardboard box, probably by a sharp instrument. The mysterious nature of the jigsaw puzzle made it even more appealing to Lisa. She decided she would buy it. The lid was taped down securely. That probably meant that all the pieces would be there. As she carefully climbed down the stepladder, holding the box in both hands, Lisa smiled to herself. This was quite a find. Just the sort of thing she had always hoped to discover while rummaging through second-hand stores. Mr. Taborg, the old owner of the store, came out the back of the uh, in the back room as she was walking up to his sales desk. He looked curiously at the box when Lisa set it down. Wherever did you find that? He asked her. Lisa pointed to where she had set up the stepladder. It was on top of that bookcase. You could barely see it from the floor. Well, I've never seen it before. That's for sure, Mr. Taborg said. Can't imagine how you found it. 
Lisa was more pleased than ever about her find. She felt as though the puzzle had been hiding up there, waiting just for her to discover it. She paid Mr. Taborg the 25 cents he asked for, and then wrapped it carefully in the newspapers that he had given her to take it home in. It was late on a Saturday afternoon. Lisa lived alone in a small room in an old apartment house. She had no plans for that night, so she decided to spend the whole evening working on the puzzle. She stopped at a delicatessen and bought some meat and bread and cheese for sandwiches that she could eat while she put the puzzle together. As soon as she had climbed the flight of stairs to her room and put away the groceries, Lisa cleaned off the big table in the center of the room. She set the box down on it. The strangest jigsaw puzzle in the world. Lisa read the words again. She wondered what that could mean. How strange could a jigsaw puzzle be? The tape that held the lid down was still strong. Lisa got out a kitchen knife to slice through it. When she lifted the cover off the box, a musty smell came from inside. But the jigsaw pieces all looked in good condition. Lisa picked one up. The color was faded, but the picture was clear. She could see the shape of a finger in the piece. It looked like a woman's finger. Lisa sat down and started to lay out the pieces top side up on the large table. As she took them from the box, she sorted out the flat-edged pieces from the inside pieces. Every so often, she would recognize something in one of the pieces. She saw some blonde hair, a window pane, and a small vase. There was a lot of wood texture in the pieces, plus what looked like wallpaper of some kind. Lisa noticed that the wallpaper in the puzzle looked a lot like the wallpaper in her own room. She wondered if her wallpaper was as old as this jigsaw puzzle. It would be an incredible coincidence, but it could be the same. By the time Lisa had all the pieces laid out on the table, it was 6.30. She got up and made herself a sandwich. Already, her back was beginning to hurt a little from leaning over the table, but she couldn't stay away from the puzzle. She had to go back to the table and get this thing done. Setting her sandwich down beside her, she continued. It was always like that when she did jigsaws. Once she started, she couldn't stop until the puzzle was all put together. Every single piece. She began to sort out the edge pieces according to their coloring. There were dark brown pieces, whitish pieces, the wallpaper pieces, and some pieces that seemed like glass. Perhaps a window? As she slowly ate her sandwich, Lisa pieced together the border. When she was finished, she knew she had been right about the setting of the picture when she had first seen the puzzle. It was a room. One side of the border was wallpaper. Lisa decided to fill that in first. After all, she was curious about its resemblance to her own wallpaper. 
She gathered all the pieces together that had the blue and lilac flower design. As she fit the pieces together, it became clear that the wallpaper in the puzzle was exactly identical to the wallpaper in her room. Lisa glanced back and forth between the puzzle and her wall. It was an exact match. By now it was 8.30. Lisa leaned back in her chair, tried to stretch her stiff back. She looked over at the window. The night was black outside, pitch black. Lisa got up and walked over to the window, and suddenly she felt uneasy, alone in the apartment like she was. She pulled the white shade over the window, closing out the night beyond. She paced around the room once, trying to think of something else she might do than finish the puzzle, because it was starting to make her a little uneasy. But nothing else interested her. So she went back and sat down at the table. Next came time to fill in the lower right-hand corner. There was a rug and then a chair. This part of the puzzle was very dark. Lisa noticed uneasily that the chair was the same shape as the one sitting in the corner of her own room. But the colors didn't seem exactly the same. Her chair was maroon. The one in the puzzle was in the shadows and seemed almost black. Lisa continued to fill in the border toward the middle. There was more wallpaper, and the left-hand side did turn out to be a window. Through it, a half-moon hung in a dark sky, but it was the bottom of the puzzle that began to bother Lisa. As the pieces fell into place, she saw a picture of a pair of legs crossed underneath a table. They were the legs of a young woman. Lisa reached down and ran her hand along one of her own legs. Suddenly, she had felt as though something was crawling up across her skin. But it must have been her imagination. She stared down at the puzzle. It was almost three-quarters done. Only the middle remained. Lisa glanced at the lid of the puzzle box once more. The strangest jigsaw. Those words still stared back at her, giving her a shudder. Lisa leaned back in her chair again. Her back was aching, her neck muscles were tense and strained. She thought about quitting the puzzle. It scared her now. Lisa stood up and stretched and looked down at the puzzle on the table. It looked different from a higher angle. Lisa was shocked by what she saw. Her body began to tremble all over. It was unmistakable. The picture in the puzzle was of her own room. The window was placed correctly in relation to the table. The bookcase stood in its exact spot against the wall. Even the carved table legs were the same. Lisa raised her hand and knocked the pieces of the puzzle apart. She didn't want to finish this strange jigsaw puzzle in this world. She didn't want to find out what the hole in the middle of the puzzle might be. But then she lowered her hand. 
Perhaps it was worse not to know. Perhaps it was worse to wait and wonder. Lisa sank back down into the chair at the table. She fought off the fear that crept into the sore muscles of her back. Deliberately, piece by piece, she began to fill in the hole in the puzzle. She put together a picture of a table on which lay a jigsaw puzzle. This puzzle inside the puzzle was finished, but Lisa couldn't make out what it showed. She pieced together the young woman who was sitting at the table. The young woman who, of course, was herself. As she filled in the picture, her own body slowly filled with horror and dread. It was all there in the picture. The vase filled with blue cornflowers, her red cardigan sweater, the wild look of fear in her own face. The jigsaw puzzle lay before her finished except for two adjoining pieces. They were the dark piece they were dark pieces, one she hadn't been able to fit into the area of the window. Lisa looked behind her. The white blind was still drawn over the window. With relief she realized that the puzzle was not exactly like her room. It showed the black night beyond the window pane and a moon shining in the sky. With trembling hands, Lisa reached for the second to last piece. She dropped it into one of the empty spaces. It seemed to be half of a face, but not a human face. She reached for the last piece and pressed it into the small hole left in the picture. The face was now complete. The face in the window. It was more horrible than anything she had ever seen or even dreamed. Lisa looked at the picture of herself in the puzzle and then back to that face. A mighty chill ran up her spine and she whirled around, looking behind. The blind was no longer over her window. The night showed black through the window pane. A half moon hung low in the sky. Lisa screamed. The face. It was there, too, staring back at her. And thus the story ends. Really twisted plot there, eh? Like something from the Twilight Zone. Well, I hope you enjoy those two ditties, those two wonderfully macabre tales. And I hope to bring a couple of more stories to you soon, so be sure to tune back in in the next few weeks. Spring is rolling around. The greenery is coming back in the trees. It's looking nice and pretty as Easter comes along here very shortly, but still, there's always that dark side out there. That dark side you must beware. Don't let it fool you. (laughs) It could be hiding behind the trees, behind the night sky, or even behind a jigsaw puzzle sitting on a shelf in a dusty old junk store. (laughs) So now I leave you. But as always, I want to wish you a wonderful night. 
Have a wonderful time until I see you next. And above all else, happy hauntings. <laughs>